Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive, Andy. This NFL offseason has been pretty fun so far, I have to say. Uh, we have really had the opportunity to explore some great evergreen topics. I thought our first couple uh, evergreen pods were um, as good or better than I had hoped going into it. Uh, we've already I had didn't. one. What? I know. I was going to say, like, I, I might have some sort of <laughs> inferiority complex. I like both of them at the end. I'm like, God, we just rambled. But then we had some we had nice feedback. So I think they did turn out good. And that's about as good as you're going to get on one take. So, well, it's all I mean, it's and it's always going to be a little weird because we had such a clear structure before when we were going through game by game. You know, yeah. I mean, it was, no, they, it was, they uh, did turn out. They turned out. Yeah, good. right, right. And we were, you know, free form is always fun anyway but um but yeah no i'd say you know we had a great interview last week we got to talk to uh uh brought our first uh first friend from the other side of the counter on to talk about bookmaking uh and man today we uh are going to present an interview that i've been looking forward to for a long time we're going to cover a range of relevant topics to the audience uh get into a little modeling the nba uh how you evaluate data to find an edge uh using sports psychology and game theory to improve your performance uh, and then kind of maybe most relevant to us specifically, how do you communicate and operate in this space when you have a mainstream audience? Uh, so yeah. without further ado, professional better, Preston Johnson, at Sports Cheetah of ESPN fame, welcome to the deep dive. What's up, guys? How you doing? Oh, man, this is the greatest. Uh, little, <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> fanboying out there. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, there's a little bit of, little bit of background here. Uh, you know, Preston was one of the first accounts I came across uh, when I started, you know, when I, I you know, I, I originally had you know, just a personal account and, you know, followed like two people I knew who were on Twitter. And I was like, well, this is stupid and boring. <laughs> like, like, I, I don't really get why anyone would do this. And then you start to realize like, oh, shoot, like, if there are specific interests you have, certain areas where there's, you know, you know, content you want to, you know, follow, like, this is great. And uh, came across uh, the Sports Cheat account. Uh, when you were kind of, I don't know, kind of the face of gambling Twitter, it felt like, at least publicly. Um, and, you know, a lot of what I tried to emulate when I built a profile was kind of directly influenced by, you know, the way you were interacting with your audience and, you know, the stuff that you thought was useful to provide to people. It was like, oh, this is how you do this. This is, this is great. So first of all, thank you for, you know, providing a solid roadmap like that. Um, and yeah, similar, <laughs> similar over here too. Same I was going to say, well, I, I think, uh, you know, like you talk about when you first got into finding out about gambling Twitter, or even just some of the gambling media that was coming out. One of the first podcasts I listened to, and I still do listen to from time to time with Adam Burke is uh, uh, just bang, bang the book. I believe it's still called. Yep. You know, he does different things with different sports throughout the season, but I know you were on there some and that's, uh, you know, he had different guests and, I would hear different guests and some you could tell were kind of full of it. You know, no offense to some of the people out there, but I'm sure they do just fine. But there was a few where it's like, I don't, I don't believe what you're saying, but I think one of my, one of my favorite things ever was hearing you talk about uh, just regular season wins and college, uh, college football. Like I, I, I had to sit and like stop and, stop the podcast and just take a deep breath after you talked about like how many of them you bet a season <laughs> that, does, that doesn't seem right but then you just what? think about it I'm like i'm like well if this guy has an edge on that many if if that many are that far off it really got me thinking about like the market in general like if somebody can find that many edges in a regular season win total market it's uh you know maybe maybe this isn't uh 
something I'm going to lose at all the time. Because at that point, I was I was losing. I was not doing well. So semi semi inspirational. Well, hopefully yeah. you've improved to some extent. I do need to say thank you guys for the kind words for starters, but I also need to clarify like on your end what you guys are doing is really positive i don't think i've followed you since like before two nfl seasons ago very regularly and i wasn't listening to your stuff very regularly but it lined up nicely because prior to actually having a gig with espn where i have like a responsibility to work and prep for a show and then do stuff the night before and have to be somewhere and it's like before i just like at home like doing things whenever i wanted to uh, i have a lot less time now and one thing that's important even for someone you know, at my level, if you want to call it that, it's just gathering as much information as you possibly can. So just listening to your weekly NFL podcast saves me a lot of time and digging and I have less time to do myself. And so I know you guys are like thanking me with a fanboy comment, whatever, but I mean, like, <laughs> you guys bring me value too at this point, what you guys are oh, doing great. as well as a bunch of other people. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how high up you are, just all of the information and content you can use and eventually apply to what you ultimately bet game to game or week to week. So uh, I have to thank you guys as well. Oh, look at all the synergy. This is tremendous. Yeah, just, just, just hugs <laughs> all around. No, and I mean, you raise a good point. There's maybe my biggest complaint about sports betting is the lack of uh, hours in days and the lack of days in the week. Like you just, you're never going to have enough time for everything. And oh, for sure. I don't listen to a podcast unless it's two X <laughs> yeah, like minimum. There and there's yeah, some yeah. thing apps you can use where you can go faster just because I have to try to get through as much as I can. And even if I listen to one and 95% of it's you know worthless, you can pick up a nugget or two in each one yeah. that'll ultimately, you know, hopefully help your ROI long-term. It's a great point. Well, I got to tell you, man, it was freaking cool that uh, ESPN picked you out of, you know, because it felt like you were kind of one of our own. Like it was the, you were a gambling Twitter personality through and through from my, you know, from where I was sitting. And so when ESPN uh, pulled you onto their kind of their first foray into sports betting content, it was like, holy crap, this is so cool that they're, you know, that they are, um, you know, going this direction. And it was, you know, I, I don't know, I felt like you were perfect for the role and I feel like you've done a spectacular job of elevating the discourse overall. So congratulations. And I just have to know, like, is this what you envisioned when you started doing this or does this feel kind of surreal? Uh, so that's a great question. If you had asked Preston in high school, were you talking about <laughs> sports? No, this is going to go a different direction than you think. If you had asked Preston in high school, you'll be talking about sports on ESPN. I absolutely would have envisioned that. I was doing journalism. I was writing about high school football in Southern California. I was watching, what was that show? I think it was called Dream Job, where it was like the American Idol of being a sports center anchor that ESPN um, did. Like I wanted yes. to be Stuart Scott, SVP. That. Like, that was my dream. So if you had asked me then, like I absolutely would have said, yeah, this is what I'm going to be doing and I'm going to work hard at it and I'm going to do it. Now, as I got older, something changed end of high school into college and I was always so I was I, I was always good at math, like the perfect score on the SAT, ACT, but the reading comprehension in English was like an awful, awful score. They thought I was like an international applicant most likely. <laughs> and, and for some reason, I just, this everything was like, you got to do math. And, and they make you declare a major when you're a freshman. And so I did yep. statistics is what I was going to do. But I had an experience with a friend. Um, I also went and lived abroad in Europe. I lived in Portugal for a few years. And just kind of those experiences culminated into me. I don't really care about stats. I'm going to do psychology. And so I, I dove into that. And that's where I, so I went this roundabout way where if you don't mind, my, my background is undergrad in psychology. Then the sports fan eventually took over. I did sports psychology as my master's degree. And at the time, I intended to do a PhD there. You kind of have to if you want to make any type of living in the field at all, anything psychology. But uh, 
you know, then I started doing betting. I was always playing poker before that. And Black Friday happened. You couldn't play online poker anymore. I started betting more often, started the Twitter account. Things just kind of snowballed. But I went this really roundabout way that kind of circled back to somehow I am talking about sports on ESPN. So it's a, it's a perfect question because I'd never thought about it. But like, if you had asked me 15 years ago, I would have said yes, because like, that's what I did want to do. And now I did it in this kind of backwards uh, path. But uh, it's been fun and so far so good. It's wild. That is, well, it's and, great. And the, the degree, the sports psychology degree, like it, yeah, that's it, it, it works. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's absolutely not what it was intended for, but it kind of really works. It really lines up at the industry. So I guess it, would it, you it all say, worked out. Would you say the sports psychology use when you started off, were you thinking of it more in terms of how is this, a, how are, how will certain things affect player performance in games? And now you, it's more like, oh no, how is this like player versus player in the marketplace? Yeah, that's a fair question. I think I wanted it to mean more than it really does, to be completely honest. And it was cool to put in a Twitter bio for a while, which I removed like a while back anyways. But uh, ultimately, and I did get to work with athletes at the college level, worked with coaches, and there's something to be said and like understood, especially at that level. Like there's so much going on with kids outside of just the expectations to perform well on the field or on the court because you have pressures from your peers, your family, you have school pressures where you have to maintain a certain GPA, work, some kids have to work, right? So there's a lot going on. And so you kind of understand that at a better uh, level, more or less, but there was no way and I could never, even if I was like trying my best to say I watched a game and saw a coach say something to a player or that he made this, you know, type of speech at halftime and now I know that they're going to play better or worse. Like, there's nothing there. I've never even really tried to do that. Again, like my background more, I'm pretty good at math. That's that's where it is. So in the analytics side of it is really where ultimately the edges are going to lie. Um, but the psychology part, the best thing, I mean, it's just for people that have tried to gamble, play poker, bet on sports, like it's really tough to be a gambler and handle the variance, uh, the bad variance, especially, but even the positive variance, like just maintaining bankroll management, all of that type of stuff, and just not letting it affect your decision making. Uh, so I think that's where with the poker in the background, and then just the psychology, really studying it for like seven years, um, six, six, six to seven, I guess, but the the ultimate kind of end line for that is like, hey, I understand I need to, I think in my Twitter bio, there's a great quote, it's, you know, emotion is designed to trump logic. And I think that's ultimately, if you can realize that, yeah, you're going to be a more successful sports better, uh, even if you're just less worse, if that makes sense, right? Even if you're betting for fun yeah. as a hobby, there's just a lot you can do to at least minimize how much you'd lose. We we did a couple podcasts on, uh, was it two or three on just heuristics and yeah. the cognitive biases? Oh, and boy, okay. just what a rabbit hole because there's when you get if you really start it's like oh here's a nice chart that has like 18 of them you're like man if you dig into some of the Kahneman and I mean just leave and everything there's like a couple hundred if you really get down to it and I think that was something I tried to figure out too you talk about the you know dealing with variants and stuff and you know all that kind of ties in and you know like how do I how do I get past these biases and then you realize, oh, you can't. That's the definition <laughs> of them. Like, we're just dick. Like, you have to, I guess you have to, in the long run, just understand things like that. And, may, yeah, maybe the, the sports psychology is less important about the players in the field and more important on the, more the personal. guys. Yeah, personal. Because if you can get inside your own head and realize, you know, these, these biases are absolutely affecting me through this 
you know, this period of variance or, you know, deviance or what have you, like you're going to be a lot better in the long run. You guys know who Phil Galfond is, poker player? There's a story just recently. You go look up his uh, Twitter feed. It was just a couple of days ago for people that are listening. He was doing this head-to-head challenge, uh, heads-up poker. I'm not even sure what the exact specifics of the challenge were, but he actually bowed out after he had a $900,000, I think it was 900 euro, 900,000 euro downswing. And he had made posts after a few sessions about, I'm still in a good spot. I'm down whatever, 286,000 euro, but I've made optimal decisions. I've been thinking through things correctly. It's been a downswing because it's just bad variance. Um, He played a few more sessions and he had his biggest loss. I think that was over a quarter million euro that took him to nine minus 900. And he went back and looked at that session. He just like, it finally got to me. I started tilting. I started making decisions because I was stuck. And once you're doing that, then you're not going to play optimally or you're not going to bet optimally. And ultimately he he's so level headed. He recognized that he stepped back. He said, I'm going to take some time away from this challenge. He has to pay the guy, I think like 3000 euro a day just to not play and finish the challenge, which he thinks is worthwhile until, you know, his mind's straight, maybe he'll tackle it back again, but it's just being able to recognize that type of thing. that puts him above, you know, most of the field right there outside of the fact that he is a great poker player on top of it. So yeah, the mindset stuff, I think, you know, read up on it. Like you were saying, you've dug into it. Uh, it can't hurt. So if you have extra time and you're just trying to kind of mold your, I guess, capabilities to just minimize losses or try to maximize. Maybe you're a small winner, but you're not, you know, doing things correctly as far as managing your bankroll or betting certain things you wouldn't otherwise bet if certain things in the morning didn't go as well as the afternoon or night. Like there's little things you can do to adjust that I think will be positive. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you can be, you can be at like the 99.9 percentile as a gambler or as a professional. And you still have to be aware of the potential that, you know, your emotional side can be a leak. And, uh, you yeah. know, it's, I, I don't, I don't know if you, I don't know if anyone ever, I mean, I don't know. May, there, there may be a correlation with like the type of people who succeed in the space and kind of just kind of like, you know, Alex Honnold, the, the climber who, you know, free, free, uh, free soloed, uh, uh, you know, uh, El Capitan. Okay. They like do that. They do the, yeah, the braid skate on him. And they're like, uh, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. don't have the part of your brain where you should be feeling fear. Like <laughs> there may be some component to kind of the people who long-term succeed in this, that's, not having, not having the emotional. That's in- uh, I mean, even just like personality, you know, if you could group sure. the personality types, but yeah, brain scans, that'd be pretty interesting. Cause it does feel like it's a certain type. I mean, it's just pragmatists. You have to be, oh, sure. you have to be willing to uh, realize this is the way of the world and things aren't always going to go your way. That's sure. Yeah. Step one. I, and I guess, you know, like, I don't know, really le- recently I've been thinking about this a lot. I don't know if I'm like, it's not based on performance. It's not based on anything. I think I'm just, I find this topic interesting, but like for sure, you know, when you know you have an edge, you know, at some point, you know, the market catches up to you at some point, the edge isn't as meaningful. And, you know, it's not clear or obvious to me, like how, you know, that like, oh my gosh, like this, like this edge is gone. I'm, you know, and, and, you know, you're, you have to kind of lose to find out, I suppose. Um, and, you know, so I think, you know, just where I am currently and as a player, like I'm definitely, I don't know, I'm thinking about that a lot, I guess. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, for, for you who pivoted from, you know, Hey, I can post what I want to post on Twitter whenever I feel like it to, okay, now I'm responsible for creating daily content. <laughs> like, okay, like I can't just, you know, go with a couple, one or two golden angles here and expose them on, you know, week one of this show because then they're all out there. And, you know, kind of, you know, the idea, 
Um, yeah, and there's people who you know will pound sand, you know, and for, you know for eternity and say, hey, no one can do media and content in the space effectively because you know at some point like you're giving away your edge right and i'm i guess i'm wondering like you know when you got into daily content did you feel like you know you had that come upon you and given sports or given angles felt like they eroded faster and you know did you have to change your approach into how you mine new angles and you know be more dynamic as you as a player so first and foremost, I need to apologize for mushing your week two road back-to-back NFL. That <laughs> was the nuts for however like oh, seven or so eight years good. in a row. So many years, yeah. And I was writing a weekly column this year for ESPN yeah. about the NFL, and I was like, "There's like I think it was four spots this year, and they went zero and four, which is probably fluky, but also road teams just crushed all season long. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, that was my fault. I should never have brought it up. <laughs> certainly. Um, oh, and four there. The, hey, it's tough. Can I, can, Go ahead. Can I yeah. interrupt you real quick? Yeah. That, and that ended up being a very a good thing for me long term this season. Nice. Because okay. it sh- it shook me to where I was like, okay, something different is going on this year. And that early like, too. Yeah. And that early, yeah. Like like if they had been one and three or two and two, and then I go yeah. one and three again, and then one and three again, I would have kept playing it, right? But instead, it was like. Oh my God! Oh and four, and some of them weren't even freaking close. Like no. one of them was the Bengals against the Niners. Do you remember that game? Jesus, <laughs> like, don't, like, don't do that! <laughs> Come on, like, but but like you know, because like <laughs> the signal, rough. the signal was so the signal was so strong. It was like, look, these teams early in the season on back to back road games, like they're underperforming at this level that you just oh, you know it was eye popping. We were uh, so and, sold yeah. on Cincinnati's offense after week one too, but like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. new regime. Yeah. They just get, yeah. they just get it. They yeah. get it. Yeah, but for sh- for sure, like the fact that it was so uh, such an egregious uh, no edge here, like it definitely made me kind of step back and say, okay, well, yeah, we made the joke on the freaking reaction podcast, like home field advantage is canceled, like you know, I think this is not a thing this year, and weirdly that ended up kind of carrying, you know, keeping me out of trouble in a lot of other, you know, sides that I played over the course of the NFL season. So it ended up we being did, good. We did predict the one week. We said there will be a week. There will be one. We there will be one week but, where yeah. like this, it's not, it's not going to regress all the way to the mean, but it will regress one week and it'll be nasty. Like every home, every home team's going to win and cover. And there was, I don't remember what week it was, but it, uh, it seven, eight, up. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere in the middle there. It was, it was rough. If you had a, if you had a, an away team. Yeah, but I guess back to the question though, yeah. it, it does it does it feel like you have to be more dynamic and pivot more quickly between angles being that you're doing daily content? So one one thing I've tried to do from the get-go is really only tackle kind of major market sports. I only do football and basketball and I do baseball for a few months. Uh, I don't do anything else. So um, like even, and I've like, and if I do, like I've posted WNBA before a couple hours before tip, if I think there's an edge, because I've been doing that the last few years, I was at summer league here in Las Vegas. And I was posting all my stuff just for fun. I mean, people, the limits are pretty small. Like, so I've done small market stuff and I'll just post it. Um, but in theory, like I'm, you know, you're trying, you don't want to give away your edge, but if you're doing it in bigger markets, I mean, it's tough to, if you're just kind of talking through a game, like, you know, my numbers, this, or my projections, this, it, no one's going to really figure out everything you're doing from that. Uh, you know, I'll say like one example, my friend, uh, spreadopedia, uh, from Twitter, if you follow him, he does a lot of baseball. He does a lot of smaller market stuff, but he, you know, he's private about most of it. Uh, he would he bet for a few years running first inning yes scores in baseball were 
just extremely mispriced. They were all plus money to the yes, not all of them, but you know, relative to where the full game totals were, there were huge edges and there's so like the volume over the course of a baseball season every day, like he just killed it for a few years and then it vanished, like completely vanished. You know, he's moved on to doing some other stuff within baseball and it's still a smaller market, but those edges for sure dry up. Well, edges in college football, even the you know, NFL is extremely tough to beat anyways, but NBA, college basketball, like, will those eventually dry up? I think you have to be kind of going back to the kind of open-mindedness about, um, you know, angles and this and that, but also just that, you know, you need to always be improving. Or maybe it's another reason, like, I've always loved the media going back, like I said, in high school, I wanted to do it. So I've always just loved doing it, did podcasts on my own, did radio shows. Now I've had the opportunity with ESPN to actually do TV, but in 10 years, if I can't win at betting anymore, then maybe I can at least talk about sports with people. Like maybe that's my new life in 10 years, right? Like it, it's hard to really know and assume. And I've also been, uh, luckily enough, I'm well connected at this point within some betting circles where I've been a lot more aggressive the last few years betting mm-hmm. in college football uh, because you never know. And um, so that's, <laughs> that's one thing I would say that if you're confident you still have an edge in a league or a, a particular sport, I mean, within your means, within reason. I know, I know who I'm talking to here with you two. Like, you'll, I trust you guys will be okay. But like, go bigger than maybe. And I, I limited myself earlier, I guess is what I'm getting at. And I learned. Do you know about today. reverse mortgages? Is that <laughs> we could do a podcast on those? We do that. No, and I, I like that. Like, you know, um, I don't want to call it like Plan B or fallback or like you, you'd be a failure is better. But like, it, it, if the edges dry up. And eventually, maybe you get to the point where you don't want to be spending countless hours every week looking for the edges. It's it's nice to be able to just you know get on TV and talk about stuff because it it is just fun. It's so fun to talk about. It's fun to just discuss and break down angles and even you know you say major sports, but some of the most fun I've had is breaking down stupid things like man, there was multiple conversations had between hot multiple dogs. well hot dogs, <laughs> Jesus, but uh, like the 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 people just breaking down all the different game theories of the 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 silly Elam ending for the NBA oh, yeah. uh, all-star game. Like there was, there was multiple different people that came up with multiple different ways, how they were, how they were thinking it was going to go and attacking it ended up being fairly close to the total anyway, but that was super interesting. Yeah. But like you said, the hot dog totals too. I really, <laughs> enjoy, I really enjoy talking to people about that sort of stuff. And I will say this, and we kind of maybe a segue into more detailed NBA stuff, but like, that's my, my passion growing up. I played basketball the most. I, I love watching the NBA. I think most people that bet regularly don't watch the regular season. Maybe they start watching in the playoffs. I am watching multiple games per day. Like that's just, I love the basketball game and I love the NBA. While most people think it's kind of overdramatic, the players are sometimes this and that. And so it's something that like in 10 years, even if I wasn't talking about betting, I feel like I could at least bring something to the table as just covering basketball, covering the NBA, maybe even college football to an extent. So like you mentioned just being able to talk about it down the road. I I hope that opportunity is there either way. I also hope, you know, if we're good for 10 more years, then I'm at a point in my life at that point where I, probably am not too worried either way. So it's (laughs) very dependent on if we win or not for the next, who knows how long it'll be. But uh, definitely for a lot of people in the 99% out there that are doing this while they have a job or have to provide for a family, it's a hobby. Uh, Just do your best, but always, yeah, it's not a bad idea. Don't I've actually had people, and this is a great example. I think two people in the last few months DM'd me, messaged me like I I'm thinking about quitting my job. I just built this model and I like, I think it's going to be pretty good. I back tested it and it's like, well, were you doing it forward running? Like, I don't know. There's like a lot of things you can, I, like the, the first thing I say is, well, stop right there. Do not quit your job. 
I would, yep. you know, test it over the course in real time of a live season or two or a thousand bets, figure out where you're at. Uh, anyway, so just don't, that's what I was getting at with like, if you have a job and you're doing this for fun, it's great. If you want to take it more seriously and put a lot of your hours that you have free into it, great. Uh, don't quit your job. Uh, it's probably not worth it. And if it is, then you'll figure that out in the next year or two. And then you go from there. But, uh, anyways, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it can go both ways, I guess. We can definitely get into the uh, nitty gritty of the nerd stuff on this, by the way, like you mean forward running as in like, do not have a leak where you are projecting game scores based on information that includes that outcome <laughs> right right like you so, can't, you, and that's not easy to come by those data sets you basically have to build them yourself yeah you would have to almost automate it and and i'm not good enough of a programmer to do that this actually came up uh recently on daily wager and we were trying to figure out the question to me was is a certain team on a winning streak in the nba i think it was when the raptors had won 14 or 15 straight are they more likely to cover the next game because they've won say seven or eight in a row versus just three or four in a row. And there's just like so much going on there where you'd have to go back at every team that had ever won three in a row or four in a row or five in a row and compare them all. And then even if you're able to like get all that and see how it, you know, they, how they performed relative to the market, there's still the fact that it depends on who they're playing at the time. What if they were playing another team that was also on a winning streak? Or what if that team was on a losing streak? Because you have to believe in a losing streak being actually predictive in some form or fashion. And then even if you're able to do all that, it's still all historical data that maybe doesn't even apply in the year 2020. The game's changed in the last five years so much. It's like, who cares? And then that gets to your forward running thing is don't build a model and use data, player information that we have, team information over the last season, let's say. And use all of that to obviously pr- make projections that are going to be a lot sharper because we've already seen it happen. Whether you're scraping it from somewhere, doing it manually, like all this information now exists. It didn't exist three months ago. You'd have to try to build your model as if it was three months ago before the game was played, which is what you were getting at. And so that you'll have so a hard. Of course, you're going to have great, <laughs> great numbers when you're looking back and you're testing based yeah. on information and data that has accumulated over time. And the market's always getting more efficient and you know, especially in leagues where a rookie or a sophomore player and say in the NBA can make a big impact off the gate. Like their data is so small early on Zion's numbers, for example, I mean, I think they're like plus 12.8 net rating when he's on the floor, he's only played in 10 games, but like, that's massive. Is that going to hold? Probably not at that level, but he might be like a top 25 impact guy. He might regress. Like we don't really know yet, but no one would have predicted the impact he'd have even in his first 10 games to be that strong. And it has been for the Pelicans. So that's just one example, but uh, yeah, definitely we, we can get as nerdy as you want, but I, I think, yeah, if you're yeah. building your own stuff or doing your own yeah, projections, yeah, yeah. don't, don't back test is kind of probably overplayed. It's fine to do if you want to just kind of gauge where you're at. But, you have to, it's, uh, it's such a, it's such a specific problem set up that is not easy though. It is, it is really not easy. I'll, I'll tell you a really quick, funny uh, story. That, well, the, the, first... the, the back test <laughs> thing though, too, don't you feel like people, <laughs> they me. just like, like Preston said, they maybe, yeah, I hate to say like back testing is overrated, but some people feel yeah. like, I think, the bigger the back test, the better. And then like, you might said, be worse. Yeah. It, it, it might be. I legitimately want to have a, that, that chart, that chart that shows like the, the distribution of where shots are taken on an NBA floor, like however many years ago now, yeah, 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 where, sure. where it's, it's all like under, you know, it's all three pointers and under the rim and forever ago, it was, you know, mid range jumpers or just show people in the NFL. Like here's what people are doing with passing now compared to 10 years ago in yeah. baseball. You just want to show them, like, here's the physics of the ball from last year. 
Like, yeah, right. It was juiced. You know, maybe maybe back testing. Was it or was, did everyone just have buzzers? I, I it was. <laughs> well, a I'm not both. sure now. Yeah. We'll find Even out in baseball. Year, I yeah, I, I think back testing past last year might be a problem. <laughs> like last year was a completely different season. So yeah, real real quick uh, your, story. story first, first first ever bottle I ever built. Uh, oh God, I, this is this is just this is hysterical. Thinking back, uh, I think it was it was uh, it was NFL. It was okay. week 13 of the season. I had been betting the whole season and I was like, you know, finally like, all right, I got to build a model. Uh, I go and grab like DVOA numbers. This is week 13. Now I go grab DVOA numbers and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to combine offense and defense. I'm going to project a score. And I go back and I test it for week 13 results. And it's like 14 and two. And I'm like, whoa, like, holy (laughs) smokes. I'm like, oh my God, I cracked the code. This is incredible. Like it was like I like I used a little bit of original thinking and I broke the NFL and I go back two weeks. It's like 11 and five. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then I like started to get real excited. And then I'm like, OK. And I do the whole season with the you know DVOA week 13 numbers. And I'm like, oh, my God, I know what you know, I, this is like an absolutely brilliant algorithm. It's like I'm you're seeing the all. matrix. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing the matrix. I'm going to win all these games. Uh, and then I projected forward for week 14. It projects edges on 16 games on 16, 16? sides in total. <laughs> I'm like, you're I'm round like, robbing oh everything. My. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, this is this is so good. <laughs> this is unbelievable. And uh, you know, some of these edges were like five, six points. And I'm like, in the NFL market, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm make so much money. This is this is the greatest. Uh, it went like eight and eight, and I was like, huh, shocker. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, so I get that. I do it again. Goes like you know, seven and nine. I'm like, yeah. Well, maybe there's not much to this. And like, honestly, like I got lucky because if it had, if I had flipped, you know, 10, 12 heads, four tails, I would have been like, nope, this is it. I actually did break this. This is, I find, you know, I finally got reverse mortgage. But uh, yeah, no doubt. If, uh, if you're building a model, please, please, please make sure that you are not using data. Yeah. Right. Do not. I've told the story of my soccer model plenty. Like, (laughs) yeah, just, you know, simple plus on and using Kelly to, and then I would take the best part of it was I would take every number available on a soccer match in the EPL, like derivatives and everything and punch it in to see what my edge was from like Bavada. I was using all Bavada <laughs> numbers. And like, if, if I liked an under, it said, boy, like seven, <laughs> seven units on zero, zero exact score. And like, I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable with all this. And I should maybe shut this down. And that that Excel sheet would it would barely open. It was so big at that point. So I'm yeah. I think first models are it's a good learning experience. Yeah, and definitely do not quit your job. Definitely do not. Yeah, don't and quit your job. Yeah, you probably need five or ten years experience minimum uh, of actually betting models to, in order to gain the experience needed to really consider a true professional endeavor. In my opinion. Um, but speaking of professional endeavors and speaking of MBA specifically and kind of in the modeling sphere here, um, you know, watching, watching some of your content, reading your, you know, reading your content, I get the distinct impression that a lot of your kind of main, you know, the main edge that you're mining in the MBA kind of comes from kind of on the fly as the season is going, like you, you suss out kind of micro trends in terms of team level performance that's influenced by guys on and off the court, which implies that like, wow, if you really are that granular and you can do a player level model, you know, you can really sustain a long-term winning angle in the NBA that the market is just a little behind on. Do you think that's a fair statement or do you think that 
if you know that that should be the preferred approach for anyone tackling the NBA nowadays. Yeah, I think if you're going to tackle the NBA, it almost has to go that way, you know, and it speaks to recognizing that your edge is gone. Uh, it was either five or six seasons ago. I was kind of just doing it the old school way where I would have uh, projections for the teams based on the season data and some priors or whatever. And then I would adjust those week to week based on the market closes and some of the results. And, you know, just doing it kind of the old school way, though, I, I realized, like, you know, after once, because like for a while, you know, even if you have a bad few months betting, you guys are accustomed to this at some point, you've had a bad couple months, but you can at least look at where you bet it, where the market closed. You can at least recognize what your expected ROI should have roughly been based on that and determine if they were good bets or bad bets. At some point, you know, I had an NBA season where I was like, I wasn't supposed to win anyways when I'm looking at everything. And I had to, you know, and at the, at the same time where it was becoming more and more regular of a thing to do Greg Popovich stuff and just rest guys on a whim, yeah. totally just out of the blue. Uh, you had guys with load management's even more popular maybe the last three seasons, but you had a lot of teams tanking and just resting guys for minor injuries post-All-Star break. And it was really tough to beat the NBA post-All-Star break. Anyway, I hardly bet it post-All-Star break still. Um, but when it was all said and done, I realized like I need to be able to figure out what this player's value is to his team via the point spread and not only what his value is and what his impact is on his team, but it's the value of those players that are replacing the minutes. So let's say like if, for example, the Atlanta Hawks are a good one this year, I project, so I, my, my player level model is simulation based and I, and I actually got help to do this because I, I could build you a crappy website tomorrow if you wanted, but I'm not good enough at running stuff and programming things like on a simulation level. So I had someone help me, um, but now, you know, if I can, I, I plug in Trey Young, 32 projected minutes and we can run a sim 20,000 times. I can project him at 28 minutes and see what the difference is literally on a per minute basis. But then I can see like if he's out and I then say, okay, well, these players are going to be taking his minutes. Some of the starters will probably get an uptick, but then the backups are doing this. And I use Trey Young as an example because he has been in and out of the lineup a lot with injury. And he's also just massively impactful to their offense. They're just lost without him. They're like over 14 points better per 100 this year when he's on the floor. He's also a negative on the defensive side. Um, so where it's really impacted and, and, and what I'll, I'll finish what I was kind of gathering at the beginning, but like for totals for Hawks games, you know, the market's going to react to Trey Young being out. Sure. Like, two points or something. Um, but the totals were only moving three points and it should be like eight. It should be over eight. And now I think of the last game they played, uh, it finally did adjust eight, like seven and a half or eight points in the market. Um, after there had been a, you know, a sample set of a bunch that we were able to see it, but that, like, there's, I think some inefficiencies in way that totals are expressed in the market early on when a certain player impact guy like Trey Young um, is out or added back in when he was expected. There's been a few times where he was questionable or doubtful and then he actually played. Um, there's some other big names like Carl Anthony Towns, Kyrie Irving. They've had some drastic impacts on those teams. But the Hawks are another one because John Collins also missed a bunch of time. Uh, Jabari Parker actually, believe it or not, has had a massive impact on their offensive and defensive sides of the ball when he's on the court. So being able to figure out and know like are these amount of minutes are going to these players and a lot those correctly and then have a projection uh, is just massive because there's always so much. And that's just one team, right? That's the Hawks. But you, you dive into all of these teams like the Bucks down the stretch. If they lock up the one seed the last two weeks of the year, you're probably going to be resting Giannis occasionally, even Middleton, Bledsoe, like some of these guys, the old guys like Wes Matthews and Corver and George Hill might not play at all just because they don't need to. Um, there's going to be a lot of that where you just have to be able to understand, all right, this is this guy's value to the point spread, but it's relative to 
who's replacing those minutes. And then also relative, because I do some matchup specific stuff to who they're playing. Like what's his value when they're playing this team as opposed to this team, right? So it's always fluctuating and changing. And so it, that having that, and I still do like the old school kind of have a market projected number based on the market averages over the course of every game they've played up to this point. And I compare them just to kind of have a nice baseline still, <laughs> but that, but yeah. that baseline is still so noisy because again, how many games did John Collins miss for the Hawks? Like 20 something. It's 10. Um, Jabari yeah. Parker played a lot when Collins was out. Now he's been out for the last month or month and a half. Like, so even that like overall average, like is probably, even though it's a good baseline is not going to be correct predicting future performance. So you really, I think at this point, if you want to be successful in the NBA, you have to have some sort of player level um, projection that you're doing that you can just adjust on the fly. Otherwise it's just really tough. And the NBA market's really sharp and even sides are pretty much good when these players are in, in and out. There's maybe some lower tier guys that aren't as impactful as you would think like I test wise um, that you can find some value in sides. But really for me now, it's probably mostly the total stuff that uh, you're able to kind of exploit still And the market. Usually, you know, maybe it takes 30 minutes to an hour, but once there's an announcement, it'll get to where it should be. And if it doesn't, it'll get there after three or four games. So it's like your angle or your edge only lasts for the three or four games that they're out. Uh, KAT is a good example with the first time he missed a game. This is one that lasted longer than it should have. Um, but he's like an all O no D guy for the T Wolves. And the first stretch they of all are up here. They, they, that's probably true. <laughs> it's not <laughs> outside <fun>. of Josh <laughs> Akogi. Uh, but the first stretch of nine games when he went out all went under in regulation. There was one overtime game that ended up going over the total. Oh, I remember the that. But so there was like that's like a really extensive run. You don't usually see that long. Usually it's like, <laughs> okay, Carl Anthony Towns is back. The T Wolves overs only went over I think four out of the next five, or like the Hawks. You know, there's been three or four of those before they adjusted to Trey Young being worth eight and a half points to total. So, uh, really, yeah, your your edge, even if you can find it using player level stuff, it doesn't even last that long. I thought the Towns one was just kind of an incredibly big miss by um, people, and especially when Towns has like a ton of data on him from past seasons and this season. And now he's playing with D'Angelo Russell, so I, I'm very intrigued to see how bad their their defense is the remainder Oof. of the season. You know, I, I think you like a. Um, the main takeaway from that whole thing was, you know, if you really want to be successful, a lot of this stuff does have to get down to the player level. And I just, I feel like a lot of listeners that might scare people like, Oh, that sounds hard. And, but like you go back to the first thing you said, there was you had somebody help you with the programming, with the coding, <laughs> with, you know, writing that. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes me think I got a DM, you know, forever ago. I'd have to go find this, but the guy, he sent me a website. It's basically like, kind of like Fiverr but it was very specific to tech jobs where he's like, I paid a guy like a few hundred dollars and he wrote, you know, he wrote this model for me. He did all the stuff for me where I can just plug my stuff in. You know, I had the baseline. I didn't have the know-how to do this sort of stuff. And I feel like, you know, while I I'm enjoying a lot, I'm learning tomorrow. I'm really enjoying it. I think I'm going to be able to do a lot with it. But at the same time, I think, you know, you balance how much time do you have to learn some of this stuff 
and I, th I think that's not some of the worst options is to farm some of that out. If you really, if you have the idea and you don't have the, you know, you don't have the know how to do the programming and the coding to build it out properly. And it, it could be worth, you know, it might cost you four or 500 bucks to get it done, but it might be worth a lot more in the long run. If you actually have some actionable angles, it was definitely a time saver. Like it would, I maybe could have done something on a similar level eventually, maybe yeah. like it would have taken me a year though, as opposed to, Hey, we have an off season. I want to see like, where this is going and, and I want to have it, you know, done in a few weeks if we can help it. Right. Like I, it definitely was like, Hey, I need to do this quicker rather than later. And, uh, it's, it's been helpful because I think otherwise I would have probably just stopped betting the NBA altogether. I mean, <laughs> that's my favorite league to watch. I, I already know, told you right? that I'm like a huge NBA fan. So, yeah. uh, yeah, definitely was a, a good decision. It started with just being able to recognize that, Hey, traditionally handicapping the NBA is just like, you're not going to beat it. Even if you're the best of the best, you know how to weigh market closes, you know how to handicap the spots and the situational stuff. You follow all the beat writers and you find out as soon as someone's out or in or this or that, like I still think the best of the best doing that without a player level things like you probably can break even. Maybe you yeah. have a slightly positive year overall grinding it out. Like it, it's, but it's really close to basically doing it that way. In my opinion, it's going to be really tough. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. And the, you made me, you you kind of made me think a little bit about the the way the market reacts to information like this, and the fact that there is there is a lag, right? And if you can kind of come up with the right, uh, you know, if you can formulate the correct kind of thesis of this is how this um, will impact things, and the market itself is like, you know, because again, what eight 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 and a half points to a, on a total move. That sounds no. like in, that sounds like infinity. <laughs> like yeah. that is, yeah. that's, there, there's there's for sure market resistance is going to manifest on you know in the first couple examples of that it's going to manifest way before you get to eight right it may just be like you know somebody sitting there like oh I'm going to be the buyback or somebody like you know you know somebody who made the bet knowing he was going to be out knowing was going to go down didn't know how much it should go down and you know was trying to hit the four five point middle there. Right? right. Like it's such a big move. Like the market isn't that elastic. I feel like, uh, and for, you know, the, the, the Minnesota, um, I'm going to have to think a little harder about why it took so long for the, the Minnesota lag to catch up. Yeah. There it was probably, uh, some good, there's probably some good, like positive variants. I didn't even bet the unders every time. I'm not just like betting them blind. I probably had four of the nine, something like that. But when it was all said and done, I, I will say this because you, you, you mentioned the point about kind of having a thesis going into it. This and I'm not just saying this to bring up the the show, but we were on daily wager and Towns was expected to play against the Pelicans. The very first game he ended up missing when he went on that stretch where he was injured mm. until about 30 minutes before tip off, or maybe it was an hour and a half. But regardless, it changed on the fly while I was on air. Someone spoke in my ear and said Towns is out, and I said, "Well, what's the total?" And it moved from I believe it was something like 235 to 234. And I and I just already knew because I'm paying enough attention. I'm looking at everything. I said, there's no way the total should be 234. Like, I just, I promise, let's, I've changed my quote-unquote best bet for the show. Can you attribute that? Game. Can you Go attribute ahead. that to watching a T-Wolves game and seeing the difference in pace of scoring when he's on and off the floor? Not Even more than just... I'm looking at the numbers just a lot. I mean, maybe, I don't know if Andy actually watches the T-Wolves much. Maybe you could have. <laughs> and I haven't watched <sighs> I But I, I, just, I just already knew that he behind Trey Young, he was the second biggest impact on his team's offense at that point in the entire season. He was plus 14.3 per 100. But guess how much worse defensively they were per 100 when he was on the floor? It was it was over 10 points worse. It was like a 25-point oh swing 
per one hundred possessions. Now that's just a sample of this season and some new players were putting, but like he's just all oh no D. And I just knew I didn't even I, didn't, I wasn't able to run anything on my laptop or anything, but I knew that a Pelicans total because it's the Pelicans, it's going to be <laughs> high. They only adjusted at one point and it probably moved down two and a half or three because of Towns being out. But the total, I just knew it was like, and so it was something that I could kind of just already, I had the thesis in mind where, okay, if Towns ever misses a game, like just bet the under until it adjusts yeah. and it just forever to adjust. And um, fortunately it won for a while there. Oh, I love it. Cause I, I mean, I remember for sure back in the day, you probably remember this from your betting days in the NBA, but like when, uh, when uh, the, Thunder had the rotation problem and they had Westbrook and Durant. They were taking them off the floor. Whenever they'd go both of them. Well, yeah. Whenever <laughs> they would both come off the floor. Like that was my first, four, that was my first like legitimately successful run I ever had in NBA. And it was all live play. And it was only that yeah. angle. I would just sit there and just sit there and wait and wait. 10 minutes gone in the uh, first quarter. They're still on the floor. You know, then you bet against uh, the bet against the Thunder. Wait, uh, wait till they come off together. Five minutes later, bet on the other side, and you had like you had like a six point middle at times. So right, and like you only have in, to win those, like, You only have to win like one out of twenty one to break yeah. in. And so, yeah. six point middle around the numbers that they're playing in, like it's going to hit so often. You can scout money lines. I, I did a similar thing for two years. I made more than I ever should have with this because it's so simple and it seems <laughs> stupid. But it was around the same time. But the first few years that Steph Curry was getting hot for the Warriors and Chris mm. Paul at the time was like one of the best players in the league on the Clippers, their like plus minuses were plus 18. And then the next best were like LeBron and Harden plus six, plus seven. And like, especially Curry, I think he was number one that year. But you could just exactly like you're saying, you could blindly bet against the Warriors every time he went to the bench and then just bet on the Warriors as soon as he came back. So if you were following it, you were just setting up these middles where you only have to hit one out of 21 to break even. Assuming you're getting minus 110, sometimes in game you got to go minus 115 or whatever. But within reason, like it was just so profitable, especially because the Warriors, like one of those years, would always come back and win anyway, no matter what. They're down 37 in the fourth and Curry <laughs> bonkers. They'd maybe force overtime yeah. with a half-court shot, then they'd cover 13 in OT. Like They just were always winning anyway. So, it, it, But those things existed in-game, and what's which helped me a lot with the player level stuff is really being able to actually figure out how much a player is maybe worth per minute, which is no one really thinks about it that way, right? Because when I'm putting in Trey Young 32 minutes, I can compare my average projections over 32 minutes of Trey Young versus, say, 28 minutes of Trey Young or just 10 minutes of Trey Young engaged, yeah. you know, on average. What's his real impact on a per minute basis? So then if you have Steph Curry off the court for five or six minutes, you can actually kind of figure out, like, who the Warriors are in those six minutes. I feel like there's some DFS focused folks who are listening to this podcast who are running to their computers right now to tweak their models for sports <laughs> betting. <laughs> um, okay. Oh man, I can't imagine NBA DFS. That would drag me up a wall. <laughs> I used to play oh, yeah, before you sure. I moved to Nevada and you can't play here anymore, but I used to do college football and NBA DFS pretty regularly in and NFL as well, because that's where all the million dollar contests were never won a thing in the NFL, but uh, NBA and college football, I did. Okay. But uh, that's, that's four years, five years ago. Now that I've been in Vegas, I just can't even play. It's so ironic to me still. Well, wow, it's wild. I'll never understand it. That, um, yeah. That is a weird, I, I don't understand. Oh, it's gotta be all politics. Selfish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it would be, uh, it would be irresponsible for us to have you on the pod and not dive into what I consider to be kind of your uh, absolute, uh, you know, forte, which is the college football market. 
Uh, I've loved some of the content that you did with Rufus and the others over the years discussing your process. Um, I, and I think in general, you know, with college sports, there are kind of two ways to do it. And this, I don't know, this is all, this is work in progress. I haven't completely thought this through, but I feel I, like I either, read this. I like this. I, you, I read you, this question. Think there's merit this on is, this? No, okay. this is going to be good. And maybe I, yeah. Preston shoots us down and then, uh, then I change my <laughs> mind. I disagree with you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you're into college sports, you either have to be correct. You have to have a better number at the onset of the season. Where it's like, okay, like I'm, I've done more work in the offseason to evaluate players coming in, team, you know, cha- turnover between coaching, between systems, things like that. Like my number to start the season is better than the market. Or you wait for a couple of weeks of data to come in and then you squeeze out a smaller edge over kind of the middle to later portion of the season. Like, is that kind of a fair way to kind of qualify college football and I mean, college basketball too, for that matter, I suppose, right? Yeah, probably especially college basketball because there's just so many more teams. It's harder to put that much work in where you're confident that you know all 353 or whatever. So uh, I think it is a fair characterization just in general for sure for college football, but especially college basketball. The I'm definitely more of the former. And, and like Andy even mentioned it near the beginning about the season win total stuff. He heard me on podcasts before. You guys probably remember this is the first year, I think in like seven seasons that I didn't do a college football preview. I used to, for people that weren't familiar with it, I used to do page, you know, one page per team, pretty straightforward. Like this is a rundown of what we expect this season, but I had projected spreads for every game for every team schedule, which had a projected win total. We'd compare it to where the market was. We'd look at season win totals that way, division prices, conference prices, whatever else futures and doing all of that work ahead of time, which by the way, we did do like a top 25 futures bets thing about a week and a half before the season started at ESPN. I was doing my preview with like two plus months of time where people were having it all summer long and one, the lines were just softer if you were able to bet into them that early, but you just had the information a lot sooner. Um, But it was really helpful for me going into like what you're getting at on the onset, just knowing more than most odds makers or the market makers early on in a week would know because there's just so much change in college football, whether it be at a head coaching level, but offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, personnel stuff, transfers, freshmen, you know, a lot of coaches decide, Oh, well, I want to start going faster and play with more tempo this year. And when you know all of that stuff going in, because you could almost bet those types of angles blindly for like the first four to six weeks of the season. And if you're right, and there is, you know, a miss early on, uh, as far as a market miss, I should say, then, you know, you're going to be profitable in those first four to six weeks. And so uh, I will say that like, so having, I would, I would have like all summer to do that and I would prep and, and it was really nice. And then now I have a job, I have less time over the <laughs> right. to do that. So yeah. that's also another reason I didn't really do a preview is because I didn't have the time to write it. I even, I should give you guys, I just had him on Matt Lindemann a shout out. He used to help me because it takes so long to just write even if it's basic stuff, but I knew he could on the spew, like write about college football, no problem. Whether he agreed with my pick analysis projections or not, it didn't matter. I used to pay him like a percentage of, you know, the little preview sales we'd get um, to help me write some of the previews for the teams, which I don't know if I've ever said that before, because I don't think he was allowed to at the time, wherever he was working. Um, but now the secret's yeah. out, but he, uh, he helped a lot. So uh, it just takes a lot of time to do that. But what I'm getting at is putting in that time is huge because 
gives you that advantage early on in the season. Now, I still bet like weeks, I would say week eight or nine, it kind of dries up to an extent. I still bet weeks 10 through 15, but my expected ROI and my actual real life ROI definitely go down. Also, my volume in college football, those five to six weeks cut probably in half, uh, which is a good sign. I'm not intentionally betting less. It's just because the market's a lot tighter, especially with totals at that point. Like the totals are just, now they have nine to Eight, eight or nine games of data there, uh, it's just tougher to beat. And so I, I would say um, for people that are, because like it's hard to tell people, hmm, how do I want to phrase this or articulate it? Like people, most people have jobs, if maybe families, they want to do this as a hobby. It's probably more difficult for the average recreational better to try and bet, say, college football week to week, adjust numbers, get all the information, look at the market closes. Maybe they don't even know how to weigh where the market closing is with their numbers or projections that they had before the season like that, even something like that can be too advanced, but spend a couple hours a week for the summer on college football and just prepping where come week one, like, you know, about these teams, you know, about the transfers that are going to be impactful, you know, about the coaching changes. And I think most people could hold their own betting like the first four to six weeks of college football, just prepping over the summer and reading and getting as much information as possible because the market is pretty soft there. And and like one example, I love giving examples because it helps put things into context, an obvious one. And I probably didn't make as much as I should have. I think SMU, I think they went over their first 10 games this season. It was nine or 10 straight overs to start the year. Um, I was more pro SMU as a whole where I was betting them against the spread a lot early and less on the overs, but it just made logical sense. Like Sonny Dykes, his second year at SMU, he had crazy numbers scoring at Cal. His defense has always sucked, by the way. He gets Shane Bouchel, <laughs> who had a great freshman season at Texas, but he ends up transferring. So now he has Shane Bouchel, a guy who can throw the ball, an offense that's always good in a conference where their relative you know, competition just isn't going to be through the roof and their defense is never going to be good either like that one made a lot of sense where nine to ten straight whatever it was is definitely extreme like the market probably caught up between four and six weeks and they just happened to go over the total a few more times um you know every season there's going to be some trend that hits 10 plus times we're actually just today on this show on daily wager they asked me hey the Oklahoma City Thunder have covered 13 straight road games do you expect some sort of regression the second half of the season I was like sure as hell or like the world's ending if not like how can they cover every <laughs> single road game the rest of the year so uh there's always going to be uh, outliers i guess is the best word or phrase to to put on that but smu is a good example if you had just thought through that right and bet on smu and bet overs for the first month i mean there's always going to be angles on a lot of those teams um i think you could do pretty well but in college football just um i wouldn't go maybe past week six just because if you're not adjusting on the fly you're never going to know if you know, where your number is relative to where it should be. And, you know, there are adjustments after that are shorter, three or four weeks. Right? SM- adjusting yeah. power numbers is, I think adjusting power numbers is a skill that's super hard to come by, especially even if you are, like you said, it's so silly to like even say like, hey, do a bunch of research over the summer and set some power numbers and you'll be in a good position. Like basically like do the work and you'll be good. It goes back to, no, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> but, but you still, it still does need to be said like, Hey, if you, especially in college football, because we've said this when we started the deep dive podcast and we did some NFL previews and we were, you know, chopping it up with each other behind the scenes. And then we'd sit and talk out every game every week. It's like, man, are, I, I just one week to drew. I'm like, Hey, are you, 
are you like better at the NFL this year? And um, he's like, yeah, like we're winning. Like it, it, back then you know, we weren't even worried about the sample size. It, it's continued. So I'm fine. But yeah, it's like, I, I, do you think we're better at it because we did all this research for the show and we talk about it? It's like, yeah, probably. Andy. I think in the case of the college football, like, it's it's a it's not a niche market. It's college freaking football, but there are so many darn teams. And if you can find some angles on you know the hundred some teams there, like you said, there's definitely some soft markets. You see some wild line moves in the early week, especially in the totals. And God, no, yeah, I think you got me. I think you just ruined my summer because um, <laughs> <laughs> I might have. I've been saying it for years. I want to put together some college football numbers. I just never do. I, I, the only thing I can add to your advice for the rec players, because I think it's brilliant. Like, yes, don't uh, don't wait until August 31st and then, you know, plan your Labor Day weekend betting. Uh, you know, definitely, definitely give it uh, a longer lag time. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't embark on that endeavor personally just because I don't have the mental model to know that, like, oh, that SMU coach you know, was at the 99th percentile of scoring at Cal. Like, you know, that, that experience matters for sure. You know, and, yeah. and I don't, I don't know. You probably need a couple of years doing this to really have That's a good point. Kind yep. of the, the mental model down. And the only other, the only other important thing to add, uh, if you are relatively new to this, but you are good at this and you have success for the first six weeks, it's a skill to be able to walk away, to let, lower your volume, <laughs> not to bet every prime time. Take it easy. Because take it easy. Don't bet every bowl game. Don't give yeah. it all back basically, because I think it's very, it's very, very real. Like, epistemic uncertainty we talk about this from time to time the unknown about these teams how they're going to perform you know how they're going to run their offenses how each player is developed over the course of the season uh you know like all that stuff becomes known and that that pool of you know that that edge that uncertainty that angle like that gets smaller the you know the more information gets fed back into the system and uh you know yeah you look up week uh, week six and you know you need a different a completely different approach to finding a differentiating factor than just what you were using week one. Literally, literally had context. that DM today. <laughs> you had it, you really did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I literally had the DM today about uh, um, you know upping your unit size. Like, hey, I've been doing well. Like, I, you know, I've I've and it seems like a guy who's not just like I'm on this hot streak for three days. Like, he seems like a level-headed sure. guy who's got some systems in place. He's like, I'm doing well. Should I just raise my unit size as we go? you know, constantly, you know, I'm like, well, you know, let's not do things daily. That seems like a pretty bad idea, but I, I don't know. Maybe I, I, this is turning into a question because I said, it seems like a personal choice. It depends where you want to go with the betting too. Like if you want to just leave all your money in your accounts, never take any and just keep upping your unit size at the end of every year, I mean, whatever, go get rich and then cash out at the very end. But you know, if you just, if you just having fun with this, you enjoy being right and you know not having having a fun hobby that doesn't cost you any money because you're actually making some you know just keep your unit size normal and don't don't go nuts with it i don't know I, it seems like a personal choice to me but you know i don't think the the answer is using kelly and you know upping your unit size based on your bankroll after like every single bet that seems nuts so to me so i i got a few things i can say about that the the correct answer is that yes you should be updating your unit size, so to speak, every, say, if you want to do it every week, because it maybe is a lot of accounting to do every day, that's fine. Um, 
if you're winning, right? Like if you're up 10% from where you started, then your bet size should maybe be around, you know, 10% more. Uh, just for a small basic example, you should be, and if you're losing, then your bet sizing should be going down in theory because you're betting a percentage of your bankroll. Um, I, so I mentioned that I'm trying to be more aggressive now in my betting, just in general. I feel like, because who knows in 10 years if I'll even have a shot anymore. And I also realized early on that I was way too conservative and I wasn't betting via Kelly. And I like went back and I, I really was like, if I had bet using Kelly versus more like I would bet anywhere from like half a unit to maybe two units on a game. And I still like had some sort of like really basic Kelly structure, which um, is fine. But I, you know, I looked back, I was like, if my bigger edge is I had really bet what Kelly said I should have versus not this and that I would have been like, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm exaggerating. Um, the one season I did it, it was like three times more profitable. It like really like hit me in the face. Like if you think what you're like, if you've won for a few years in a row doing what you're doing, then what you're doing is probably good. And you should probably maximize like what you have while you still have it. And so if just speaking to your DM, don't go crazy, but yeah, you should probably be upping it if you're doing well and you're confident in whatever systems or model that he's been doing for a while. You said he seemed like a level-headed guy. I would say yes to him actually. Like, yeah. And I was telling you guys early on, like maybe if you do have a league, you think you're still really good in, like maybe you should be more aggressive um, going forward for a few more years because who knows down the road. So that was one thing that I learned the hard way where I realized I could have made a lot more money um, within reason, you know, if I had been more aggressive early on rather than more conservative. And I came, my background, whether it be as a kid and growing up religious was always conservative. I was really conservative playing poker because I was still going to school. Um, and I'd started playing also in high school. And so like, I, I always was like, I need to just be as cautious as possible. Uh, and it cost me over the long run for sure. Over the, I would say maybe the first six or seven years I was really betting regularly. I wasn't betting enough. Mm. Wouldn't surprise me though, if early on that kept you in the game. <laughs> right, right. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, like I lost. You're going through tuition, first, you know. Yeah, the first yeah. two or three years, you're not even winning, anyways. Yeah, if if the yeah. I guess bank, bankroll, that's a good point, Drew. The the bankroll size thing, like if it's if you have a pretty small bankroll, maybe maybe a little more conservative uh, approach wouldn't be bad. But no, I get it. Like uh, I'd hate to see someone with a hot NBA system that didn't take advantage of it and regrets it now. It is personal <laughs> choice. Though. I, I want to say one more thing because. I'm always, and I'm guessing that was an inside joke that uh, he's he he would have won a million dollars already. Pretty much for last year, whatever. It was. I left a lot of money at the table. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, like we all it, yeah. kind of do, I think, and it's so it's hard to say this is because this is the problem. This is what I wanted to add. Like I, it's all about like you said, personal choice. I think that's actually probably the ultimate correct answer because if you're not comfortable upping your bet size, then don't do it. Like it, it is that simple. An extent it depends on how serious you want to get or how much you really want to gamble on yourself, but it's all a comfortability thing. Like if you can't handle it, then you know, like lower your best size. Like if Phil Galfon said, "Hey, like I need to take a few days back, step back. I'm not playing optimally because you know this is the situation I'm in." Like he recognized it. It's like always make sure you're betting within you know reason. Um, but if you're in a spot where you could do it, like I imagine you probably could have, uh, within to some extent, bet more on your NBA stuff until maybe more recently. Uh, you probably missed out on some cash. Like I did the same thing with college football, especially. Um, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. first like half of the you know times I've really done well with it. Yeah, I feel like pretty 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 important first question is is your edge real? And that's a tough question to answer. That but takes there's a few years in, probably yeah. to answer anyway. Yeah. yeah, there's there's indicators though. You know, 
are you beating the closing line consistently? Are you hitting 60, 70%? You're beating the closing line. You know, like, are, how much are you beating it by? Like, you know, are, are, are you looking back at your results and kind of doing some periodic scoring? Like, yeah, this was a lucky win. No, this was, a, this was a, the win. The reason that, you know, the angle that I was betting on this game was the differentiating factor, like, confirmed. Like, you know, like, you should be doing that to kind of tell yourself, yeah, this is a real edge or this is a lucky streak. And if Do it's you? real, then there, I completely agree. You, yeah. should be, you, you should be uh, willing to be a little more aggressive. Do you do any like expected points type modeling for basketball or football at all? Like post results? No, I don't. I usually try to qualitatively score um, Uh in the like, like for for NFL, it's easy to do. I read other people's stuff. (laughs) I know like three people that do it. I just kind of look at all theirs. And a lot of times, you know, if you, if you did watch the game and you feel like anecdotally, that feels right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Usually those I'll kind of ignore and be like, yeah, I mean, they left I some do. points on the field with some, but if there's one of those box scores and they do one of those expected points, oh, autopsies, get into that for, yeah, yeah. If it, yeah, we should do a podcast on that. But it, if there's a game where, you know, they say like the, the expected points were this and that, and I disagree with it just off the top of my head, that's definitely a game I want to go back and look at be like, what, what did I miss? That, that makes me think that's not how that game should have gone. And I f- usually find something interesting in those games or something, yeah. something usable, something actionable. Without actually like modeling it, like on a very basic level, I'm just, just something else I thought we could like suggest to listeners, like going through all the box scores, you can kind of recognize, like you were saying, just kind of eye testing, like, Hey, this final score doesn't really add up with how the game script went um, for the entirety of the game. Like I know Rufus does, like his game scores, which is essentially like what was the expectation based mm-hmm. on how it played relative to say what the market was expecting before the game started and did they overperform, underperform. Um, but no one was really doing that for basketball. And I even, I've tried to drive like ESPN because there's a guy doing a really good, like based on um, shot distribution and shot selection and all of the play-by-play data, he has a basketball kind of expected points model. I did a really elementary one for the college hoops a couple of years ago. And I've just been kind of keeping it going because it really, especially for basketball, it's so high variance now with all the three point shooting, especially in the NBA that it, it sucks to just say this and it almost sounds like an excuse. And I probably have to say it more often than I should just because people don't really realize it yet. But oh, here's an example. Like a week ago, I bet Purdue against Ohio state. They were plus five and a half. I believe they shot 18% from three Ohio state shot 50% from three and it was single digits for most of the game anyways. And I was like, just that alone, it looks like a bad bet, but like one team shot 18% from three, the other shot 50%. Like it was just a well, you know, below average game performance for one above average for the other. The expected score in that game was I think Ohio state by like 2.7 or something, which would have been a cover. So like sometimes like when you were talking about going back and trying to determine if you have an edge, if your edge is real, that's what made me think of this to begin with. If you're doing some sort of assessment after the fact of your bets, not just looking at a final score result that's almost meaningless right it's a one game sample some sort of expected points model for for basketball and football or game score uh, can go a long way into helping you grasp like was it really the right side or not um, you got to try to be as you know unbiased as you possibly can because we all think we're getting bad beats every day me included <laughs> but yeah. like i haven't even looked at college scores so the thing for an hour and i'm we'll see what I happens would. so i was looking yeah. really strong at half and most of them and we'll see but the the ultimate point is like going back and, and putting some time in after the fact too will definitely go a long way I completely agree with this for for NFL because it's there's only 16 games most at most in a given week. Yeah, great point. Like 
you, you have the bandwidth to actually to actually think about it a little bit more. And I think that's actually I think it's important for the NFL because a lot of times the distinguishing factor is like how was the game called? Like was the co- were they like are there specific coaching mistakes uh-huh. that that led to one thing or another here, whether specific turnover, fluky turnover luck, one way or another here. And you're not necessarily going to know that unless you kind of go back and take a qualitative look at some games, I think, in the NFL. Um, in the NBA, I haven't thought of an expected points model, but that's brilliant. Yeah. I think they absolutely they absolutely would be worth doing no, it. Uh, what getting I, executive I, producer credit yeah. on our next podcast. <laughs> like literally, we, we have a shared document where we throw ideas for podcasts. <laughs> Made a note. Yeah. yeah, one of well, one of them is like box score autopsy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I think it, yeah. I think that's going to be. Yeah, we weren't 100 percent sure if we could fill a. I was just going to tell the story. Like, yeah, expected expected uh, points after the fact. Like that's sure. the second half of that podcast. Like here's, uh, here's a real quick example. I know you probably want to move on, but I just no, no, it's interesting. Okay. Anyways, so you you should dig into the Charlotte Hornets to start this NBA season a little bit. They, <laughs> now they were better than people anticipated, and they have been as a whole but they were shooting so beyond their expectation. Cause you can look like second spectrum will have play by play data and a shot quality. Like this is your expected effective field goal percentage based on your shot distribution mm. and say it was 51% or whatever. And they were like through like, an extraordinary amount of games, like nine or 10 straight, like 59%. Like they're shooting so far above what was expectation. Now, a lot of it was that no one expected Devonte Graham to actually be good at basketball. He now is. So it's kind of met in the middle to some degree where they were overachieving and overperforming relative to expectation because they, he was better and he was taking a lot of their usage and stuff, but they've totally actually as a whole kind of died off the last month, month and a half and some of its regression, but that was just like something that you could just pinpoint looking at one stat, like shot quality and based on, you know, the attempts they took, but then what they were actually shooting and kind of find candidates like, all right, maybe the market's going to overreact to this at some point because they're a candidate to, to regress to some level that isn't what we've seen for nine or 10 games. And no one expected the Hornets to be good anyways. And anyways, that was just one example of, you know, a box score autopsy, like kind of on a, another level of just like no, what percentage from three where they, you got to look at kind of expectation based on um, what's ah, happening within the game. Yeah. I'm definitely missing that. I'm, I, I'm definitely missing that in the NBA for sure. Um, the only thing I do for the NBA that's semi quantitative is like, I like, so I'll, I'll grab the NBA stats box score information for every single game and calculate uh-huh. all that stuff myself because I want kind of like a running uh, you know, I, I do a full, kind of a full on like moving average sort of interpretation of how teams are playing so that I can better kind of capture heat index, so to speak, for lack of a better word. Sure. Um, and uh, and when I get a new result in, I'll convert like I'll calculate the four factors and then I'll convert them to Z score. And I'll basically just like try to, I have like a I've seen your graphs and stuff, the charts. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I have conditional formatting in Excel where it's basically like, Hey, if I get a Z score over, over two or, you know, more you know, or, or negative two, like it pops and I'm like, Oh, Whoa, this was a weird, you know, there were, you know, look the, into the, it. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. This was a weird game. And if that lines up with the win or a loss, then I'll kind of, you know, go back and kind of regrade that in terms of, um, you know, whether it was informative or not in my, my results. So, yeah, but that's yeah, great. Yeah, it's a. Uh, this is going to be a good podcast if we get to that yeah. one, Andy. I've got an underdog in double overtime here, man. I'm just, I'm just trying to get through <laughs> to the Cincinnati. How many game? points? Yeah. How, how many points? Who did who, you have in Cincinnati? I didn't. I just remember you mentioned it right before we hit oh, record. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I have Central Florida. It's plus eleven, but I've just never, never I know. Never, <laughs> I've I had a team get outscored twelve nothing in overtime once. 
was it the Hawks versus the Heat this season in oh the NBA? No, <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you remember that game? Yeah, I was on the right <laughs> end of that actually. My I team, my team still covered. That, they were like a fifteen-point dog, but that I was the one nervous. where I got nervous. Yeah. yeah, the Heat that Heat game was. That's true. They had to come all the way back to begin with. They were down fifteen or something. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, Trey Young was taunting the crowd and then put up an absolutely pathetic oh, performance. And I remember that I remember early that. on, he was yeah. yeah, he was getting into it with the crowd, and then yep. <laughs> yep. yeah, and I don't I don't bet NBA. I bet here and there, but like I'm in an NBA chat anyway, just because I love to <laughs> I love to hear the, the nice. people get all mad about NBA. And boy, that was <laughs> the the chat was live that night. <laughs> like I might have to watch this game. <laughs> I think at one point it was eighteen nothing in overtime, and maybe finished eighteen five or something crazy like that. But that was the most lopsided overtime I remember. Anyway, um, let's. Uh, uh, let's wrap up with a more fun topic about I say more fun. This has been incredibly fun, uh, but just, you know, a little, little less uh, sports focus, a little less you know, he, uh, heavy. He wrote heavy like TV our next three episodes focus. for us. <laughs> I know losing. Are, well, we're still learning, to next, uh, learning to lose. Got, That's uh, definitely going to be good. Score good. Autopsy Box score autopsy. Expected yep. points. That's going to be good. Weeks um, of content. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, learning to lose. Um, that's actually from another podcast, though. I still I tweeted about that. Is that where you got it? The like the Seville guys did a a pod that I thought had some really good stuff. But learning to lose is like a really was it the three and a half hour concept. one? Yeah, it might have been <laughs> with Hagrin. I listen. I yeah. listen to all yeah, those. Okay, all, no, those are actually those those are super interesting mind think, and it, it churns a little bit. But the learning to lose is great because I like honestly I had a really bad like two weeks of college basketball. And like, there's some people I can vent with like via messages on WhatsApp or just, you know, on my phone or Twitter and DMs and stuff. But like, I was probably going like way overboard. I was like, I need to just like calm down about these beats and just like, <laughs> I need to learn to lose because I tell other people that. And I just, anyways, it was good. It was a good reminder. Do what I say, You're not no, going to be you. as good. You can't learn to lose going forward. So figure it out. Anyways, you, uh, can, yeah. you can move on to that final question. Here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it's just funny you say that because like we started, basically we started a whole tennis chat because like you watch enough tennis and like it's single player, you right? Need someone to talk you to need tennis. someone to talk to. If a single player is like, is, you know, just like is brain dead out on the court and you're losing like, I, and this is, a, this is going to be, this is legitimately a problem in social media space. Like people are like violently aggressive towards these tennis players on oh, social really? media. And it gets, it gets, I, I mean, it gets circulated. Everybody sees it. The players for sure see it because people you see are it all in like fantasy football. Oh, sometimes. oh my god! Like the NFL yeah, guys will be like, "I don't care." Like they'll, they'll tweet back at them. Yeah, but, sure you don't, yeah. but you saw it still. Like it's still you don't want. You know that shouldn't be part of the experience as an athlete. And yet here you are, like faced with you know people you know mfing you, death threats, you know racial slurs, Jeez. like just absolutely crazy stuff. Yeah, like PSA, don't. At don't uh, don't, don't add. Yeah, I mean, if, I'm not going to say yeah, don't yeah. ever add an athlete if you want to like try to ask him some question or something, but don't yeah. ever at an athlete after one of our loss. buddies almost got a date with the tennis player. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but <laughs> the <laughs> but the but but no, we kind of used that at first at least. That was a good kind of mechanism to vent. Like, holy crap! Like this guy's brain dead. But you're doing it in a very private setting, which is very different than publicly adding someone and really trying to make their life miserable. So anyway, learning to lose will be a good podcast as well. Um, let's talk about content. Let's talk about sports betting content because like I said, I think you are the, you know, we're the perfect choice for ESPN to kind of lead this kind of mainstream engine here. And, uh, you know, I'm curious what your thoughts are with, you know, you know how I would number one, from my perspective, I feel like it's well received. I feel like you're getting, elevated in terms of exposure there i feel like it's going in the right direction here would you agree with that do you think 
you know, do you have thoughts in terms of, you know, how this is going to be in a couple of years and, and or like uh, a pet peeve or <laughs> yeah. Anything, yeah. anything you'd like to see, you know, change or <laughs> a major problem with uh, anything in the media right uh, now. I will say like, you said one thing I'd like changed. You can't really do it because you, you need an entire day. Like it, there's so much going on behind the scenes to, from like producers and just to actually put a show together and then air it live. Um, but like our, our, my, at least my bets, like my ROI on the show would be a lot better if I was picking at eight or 9 AM instead of three to 4 PM Pacific time. Like, <laughs> like it's just really hard to bet against the closing lines. You know, like it's, it's just tough. If you can break even doing that, then you're probably good if you're betting in the early morning or even night before, right. Or go earlier than that openers. Like, so it, it's tough. That would be not one nice thing to, to maybe change. And in, in, in even our Sunday morning show in the NFL, it's Sunday morning at that point, you know, it's pretty sharp market. Uh, so, I mean, that would be, if I, if I had a vote for anything, it would be just kind of help our overall, um, I guess, helpfulness to the people that are just blindly tailing some of our picks sometimes. Um, but I would say just as a whole, the content, so, I mean, like so many more podcasts and, streams and, and shows are, are, are happening that have been beneficial. I think just to everyone, like I said, I don't think you can really ever take in too much information if you're able to just kind of weed out what's positive or at least worthwhile within that, but where it's going to go. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I really know to be completely honest. I think there will be more stuff outside of say like the way we approach things with it's kind of like a sports center ish show but based on you know the betting lines and like kind of we'll interview and we'll get the reporters live from this game and we'll talk to them and get you know news on if there's a guy or a player or multiple players that are questionable and then we go and bring it to a, you know a betting context to everything that's kind of news picks oriented i think there's going to be a lot more stuff where like say you'll do it'll probably be like a documentary series of like in the life of, of like a bunch of betters you'll see a lot of that stuff you might see game show type reality show stuff mm. that is related to sports betting uh down the road and and so i think it's all it's obviously only going to grow there's only uh i mean there's a reason you know pen or whoever the, the company the national gaming company bought barstool or a piece of barstool for however many millions of dollars it was 450 maybe like there's obviously something there they're putting all this money into this space this early uh like it's like kind of just like two and two makes four to me. So yeah, we're trying uh, to get valued right now. We're, <laughs> I, I can we're, tell you guys we're, after we're seeking show, valuation. I, have a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've been wanting to invest in all the podcasts. So I have you guys. <laughs> the, I will say there's going to, there's going to be a point where it's like oversaturated. There's, I'm already, I actually like already kind of feel that like there's a lot of people that are going to try to keep doing the same stuff. Um, so you got to try to find like the, the niche or the twist that's going to make something positive. I'm trying to do something. Uh, I had hoped to start this weekend and got some bad news today about being allowed to do it. Uh, oh, I no I'm not going to get into it, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to try to do something that exists, but not uh, a sports betting platform version of it. That would be fine. It, involves me giving away free money to people in sports book, trying to pick against me, giving them opportunities to bet on whoever makes the next three pointer. If the kids are going to make their next free throws and just doing like kind of like a YouTube series or video yeah. series of like their reactions, sweating games, offering chances to win free cash. And I thought in my head, I'm not going to say sports books yet. Um, it would be win, win, win because we'd have traffic and traffic and like traction in their sports book. Oh, for sure. Thousands of users in their sports book. If those guys did beat me in say a five game picking contest, I'll like offer a hundred bucks to anyone that can beat me. Or if you go seven and oh, you get a free thousand dollars, like little like perks like that. 
like then they're just going to spend it at the sports book and bet into them anyway. Of course, end up in the sure. Sports book. Of course. That's, going, that's going on a second half bet, a thousand percent. Exactly. Like, oh, I just got another <laughs> 20 bucks. So I'm gonna just going to bet it. It's a free roll, right? So the books are going to yeah. get money back anyways. So I thought that the first book I went to uh, would have loved the idea. And I found out today we can't do it come Saturday. So I'm not sure when this is going to launch, but I think it's going to be just kind of creative ways to do content that isn't just like, well, these are the games, these are the lines, like this is what I think about the matchup. These are my projections. Like everyone's going to be doing that. So I'm trying to think outside the box in some ways. Like you guys probably drew at least six, I think it was six years ago. Like I was doing Twitch live streams in game. Oh yeah, I remember that. Or at least saw me doing that. That's something if I had more time, I started actually having kids. So now I have two kids. (laughs) It's harder to do that, but I was just, that was like that was one of the years we were just blindly betting the Steph on off in yeah, Warriors yeah, yeah. Five, but I was just doing them on Twitch and people could just come in with like a chat. It was like a Q and A. No one, no real sports better. I don't think is doing a bunch of Twitch stuff even still. Like I, I might do I, more of it, but yeah. there's going to be stuff there that people can monetize for something to like actually make money doing. On top of the fact that it's just like bringing more value to the industry as a whole. I told someone that as they made it, it was just a really shitty joke. Like they said, cause this guy live bets soccer constantly, uh-huh. especially when the main leagues get going. Sometimes he has, you know, just rebet, rebet, rebet. And he's watching like five, six matches. He's betting a lot of like first half over one, you know, over half goals. And he joked about like, I should do a podcast with my soccer content because you know, the evergreen is like, 10 seconds sometimes it's just not there <laughs> and i said i said you know you're joking but if you set up a twitch stream of you watching a bunch of soccer in like turkey and just live betting the good, piss out good. of it and stuff yeah. like there would people would actually i would watch it like especially if he's like a kind of a character like if you're entertaining and you, like yeah. people just, like they'll give you love just because you're just crazy to watch you're a degenerate you're betting on turkish soccer in the middle of the day in game yeah that's great i mean like there's so many poker guys i've like started doing twitch streams for years gamers do all the twitch streaming and just make killings on subscriptions for four or five dollars a month whatever it is because there's just such an audience for it um but yeah there's going to be people finding ways i think to uh expand and i think bring more fun to it because all like we're serious on daily wager. We're ESPN. We're trying to make profitable picks as much as people try to think that the books pay us to give the wrong side out. I hear that every other day, which is just completely crazy, but <laughs> like we want to try to bring value. Um, but I think a big part of this, just making it more fun and entertaining for people that they realize, like if you do go one in four on a day, like they're not just going to hate you in your life. Like, let's have some fun with it. Find ways to interact and engage with the recreational everyday better that people can relate to when they're viewing it, whether it be a stream or, you know, a YouTube video, whatever it might be. So we'll see what happens. I'm trying to figure some stuff out and I have some other opportunities here in the near future um, that are under wraps. I can't get into more specifically, but uh, <laughs> I, think, I, I think there's definitely going to be some positivity to all of it outside of just like, I want winners. That's it. If you can't give me a winner, like you suck, like mm-hmm. it's good. I think be more fun for most people um, going forward. Bring yeah, back, something. bring back, uh, bring back playbook rewards. That's right. I I won one. I won fifty bucks one time. Did you? Was it in Bitcoin (laughs) or actual cash? No, it was actual cash. I think you gave me the choice, and of course, I took cash, which was terrible. It was was like back when it was two hundred thousand dollars. I think it was twenty fourteen. So it was probably when Bitcoin was like fifty bucks. Yeah, Yeah, no, you probably probably missed out on. Let's see, forty five. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's probably like twenty five hundred bucks now or something. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, Probably like a whole coin. But I don't like yeah. what you said about maybe some innovative stuff because, you know, I, I don't want to say like we're doing the most innovative stuff. A big part of our podcast is just NFL talking out every game. But honestly, there's just never going to not be a, a an audience for that. People love the NFL. We love the NFL. And you oh, can tell sure. we love the NFL. So we're fine. To, you know, but I like what you said as far as, you know, there's as, as more and more things come into the, the you know, the – the atmosphere here we have and you get some saturation it's just going to be so much of the same stuff and if somebody can find a way to do something unique like you know like your game show you talked about i think that stuff's going to hit big and people are going to love that speaking of twitch and knock your socks off i did a triple take like you're you're not even going to believe that this is true or real and i gotta go validate this but it's insane are you looking at like numbers no, but not just Twitch overall numbers, but like numbers for a specific thing that you would think is ins- like insane. Like there was a guy who was running an, a DFS NFL model and he would Twitch stream coding and debugging his weekly updates of this model. And people would tune oh, in to this. just watch yeah. him coding and downloading play-by-play stats and crunching numbers. And like that was the content. <laughs> here's here's an R here's an R instance, and this is the code I'm taping in, and here it's running, and it's still running, and I'm that's giving it. That's you witty banter tweet. along the way. That's it. That's the whole tweet. And like, but that it's was like a free lesson or a free in. class. Yeah, but they weren't even like free. trying to learn. They were just they wanted to watch this guy code. It was like a thousand people streaming on Twitch watching this guy. I was like, <laughs> this can't be real, is it? You know what? I think this is getting to like more of a society thing. And the reason why I think like some sort of YouTube series I'm going to try to do, I'm putting up some of my own money up front to like make this happen. But like as a society, like I, and I've found myself going down the rabbit hole so many times too, and I'm big into music. So I watch a ton of like YouTube videos, like music stuff, live shows, like we sit on our ass and just on the couch and we just watch the internet and it's sad to an extent, but like Twitch is just so massive and it's a younger generation thing too, where that's what they do even more than my generation. I am younger thirties. Like even for me now falling into that trap, sometimes I recognize it, but like these kids in the twenties or even younger high school, like they're just watching internet stuff all the time. And so there's obviously going to be stuff, you know, in our space for it and in the sports betting industry. But like you said, just watching someone code and debug (laughs) NFL DFS lineups had thousands of viewers. It doesn't surprise. There's just that many people there just sitting around like, well, I guess I'll watch this, you know, it's kind of sad in a sense. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, there's an audience for everything. It turns out. Um, okay, well, let's wrap this up. This was super, uh, super worthwhile, as fun as I had hoped. Um, congratulations on cultivating this um, uh, this public subject matter expertise in this space where no one's really been able to do it, and uh, it is awesome to see. Keep up the great work, and uh, you know, hopefully, as college football gets back around, maybe. Uh, Maybe, maybe they'll be a part preview, two. Huh? Maybe they'll sure be yeah. <laughs> maybe. Plan on it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then right, also also write your preview again this year. <laughs> like just, you want to help me? Yeah, find the time. <laughs> Andy actually edited a preview for the NFL two years ago from a German language NFL handicapper who was absolutely That was actually a lot of work. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, you've had him on the podcast a few times. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right on. He was good. He was good. And he wrote a whole preview and Andy was the uh, he was the lint train to the sports cheetah. 
there the you NFL go. preview. I, I guess <laughs> I forgot that Lind. I forgot Lindman did that. So he, no yeah. one. I'm not kidding. No one knew that because yeah. he was working for sports books and he didn't really want anyone to. Yeah, that's probably why I didn't know. Side, like, <laughs> hey, I'm making a few. It was just like a couple hundred bucks, but yeah, of like, course, I'm yeah, writing yeah. these things for Preston. Still, so, still yeah, cool. That that news is out now. I don't know if they'll listen to this or not, but uh, it was really helpful because just writing just takes time. Like even like a weekly article, I have to sit down and spend a few hours organizing it and then writing it and then editing it. Um, anyways, no, I appreciate you guys having me on though. You keep doing what you're doing. Uh, I appreciate it. Like, like I said, it's only been two years that I've really listened to the podcast, but it goes a long way when you're running low on time and you just want people to talk through the same stuff you would eventually dig into or think through. Um, yeah, it's a time saver and ultimately there's only 24 hours in the day. So we all appreciate it as well. <laughs> I love and it. You can find Preston on TV <laughs> <laughs> and Twitter. Lots of Twitter, lots of TV. <laughs> I like your stuff. Thanks a lot for coming on, man. Hey, take it easy, guys. All right. Best of luck. <laughs>